Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So there's two classes that you take in seminary that everyone's required who's going to be teaching scripture. Um, and that is the first one is hermeneutics, and that's how you study the Bible, how you make sure that you understand what the Bible's saying. And the second one is homiletics, which means that you understand how to say clearly what the Bible is saying. So hermeneutics is how to understand scripture, and homiletics is how to speak scripture. And you're basically discovering how God has wired and crafted and made you and designed you to say things with power and force through the help of the Holy Spirit and with clarity. And one of the things I learned about myself in this homiletics class is that I work best when I work for a couple hours a day on a message. I was talking with one of my friends who's a pastor last week, and he said that he has to do it all in one eight-hour day, Levi. That's crazy. Levi Stuckey said that. I, that is insane to me. I cannot do that. I need a couple hours at a time throughout the week, and it gradually builds because I process, I think, new illustrations come to mind, I have to sleep on things, and it gets clearer and clearer as I go throughout the week. Yesterday, I put this message together in an airport. I was in the Rocky Mountains last week in Denver, Colorado for the FEC, our denomination, fecministries.org, if you want to check them out. We had our national conference in Denver, and I decided this week that what I'm going to do is just give you some highlights of how I see God moving denomination-wide, because sometimes we get stuck in our own little world here in Worcester, and it is a big kingdom, and it's a big world. And there's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit is doing that I want to make sure that we're getting on board with what he's up to. And we could miss it if we're not careful. And so I want to share some of the things that I learned. And so I put it together. Last night I went through my conference notebook and I was essentially asking, what are you up to? What do you want me to communicate to our church and our neck of the woods? What do you want me to say? So I'm reading through the notebook and the notes that I took and I put this together. I got home at 10.30 last night, flew into Columbus and then drove home. So it was a short night. And it was put together in a couple hours. So all that to say, have some grace with me today. It might not be as smooth as it usually is. We usually study the book of Ephesians. And we go through it a little bit at a time. And I prefer to go through large passages of Scripture at a time because it really helps you understand what that passage says. And I like to be anchored in Scripture. So this morning is also going to be a little bit different because because we're not going through a passage in that way. Now, as a former youth pastor, I know that you have to be really careful when you go off to conferences. You have to be very discerning when you come back because it's easy to come back from this conference and just barrel over your church with all these new ideas, these 10 new insights and um, all these programs and just start over. I mean, people have actually done things like that and really, really hurt their churches. It's a good thing to get fresh ideas. It's a good thing to get out of your context. We need that, and we need some new things and some new movements of the Spirit. We're going to get that, I think. But it's it's tempting to come back and share all of these things and be really excited in front of you and for you guys to say, man, I I wasn't there. You just had like two straight days of people telling what God is doing in their neck of the woods. So you're fired up and you're excited and that's cool, but I wasn't there. So it's a weird tension that you walk into when you come back from a conference like this. 
It's like when I was there, and it's in the Rocky Mountains, so the first day when we got there, they took us to Garden of the Gods. Has anybody ever been to Garden of the Gods? Oh, man, it is gorgeous. It's, it looks like paradise. It looks like heaven. It's, it's absolutely amazing. The second day after we were done with our conference, uh, it was over at like 4.30, and then there was optional things in the evening to do. And um, at 4.30, I was like, I'm out of here. See you guys tomorrow. I am driving off to the mountains. I went to my hotel room, changed, and drove west for about an hour, and Went to Red Rocks. You been to Red Rocks? Oh my goodness, another beautiful place. And then, and then the last day at three, I hugged a couple guys and said, I'm going back to my room and I'm going to Mount Evans. Mount Evans is the highest mountain in North America that you can drive to the summit. And it was over 14,000 feet. I was getting lightheaded and like my fingers were tingling and I got to the summit and just sat up there for a while. And <clears throat> I was taking pictures and sending it to some of, some of my friends and family. and everyone, Most people were polite, but some people said what everyone else is feeling. That's fantastic, Greg. Good for you. I'm glad you're on Mount Evans. That looks absolutely beautiful. I'm trying to survive back here in Worcester or wherever I am, and I'm happy for you. Good job. Don't send me any more of these pictures. That's great. <clears throat> so I get it. It's weird when a pastor goes to a conference and comes back and, and is tasked with living in the tension of, I was there and you weren't. But there's something really helpful about getting out of our context and hearing what God is doing in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And so that's what I want to share a little bit with you today. The first thing that I want to share that I learned at this conference is Jesus is building his church and nothing will stop him. Not even a pandemic. I want to base this talk on a a verse that's been foundational since the day we decided to plant. I said, if this verse isn't true, I am not planting a church. And this was a personal decision that I I made with Jesus, that if this is not true, I will not plant a church. If you don't guarantee this is true, I'm not doing it. Forget about it. And if you want to turn, you can turn there either in your phone, your digital Bible, or you can turn there in your paper Bible. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, 18. Now, the disciples have been following Jesus, I, th- I think, a couple years before he actually asked them, who do you say that I am? It's interesting. They were following Jesus long before he ever asked them who he was. That's an interesting idea. So we asked them, who do, who do people say that I am? And he said, and they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or the other prophets. And this is Matthew 16, verse 15 here. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Here's the verse. Here's the verse right here. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's interesting that the gates of hell, I, I learned this this week, I never thought about this. One of the speakers said the gates of hell, that's a defensive tool. A gate is a defensive tool. And Satan temporarily had some power and authority over the earth and Jesus took it back of the cross. And then who to give the authority to? Us. And our responsibility is to run into the darkness with the light of the gospel and bring as many people to heaven as we can with us. That's our responsibility. That's why we exist as a church That's the heartbeat of Jesus. 
But the most important thing, a lot of people get in theological debates about this. And what does it mean that Jesus told Peter, on this rock I will build my church? And I think we get lost in the weeds in that because the most important aspect, the most important thing in this verse is Jesus saying, I will build my church. And we can be a part of it or we can choose not to be a part of it, but it will happen. The most active person at Southside is Jesus. The most committed person to Southside is Jesus. He is doing the work. And our responsibility is to watch where he's growing and water along with him. Building a church is a spiritual enterprise. And it's met by satanic opposition around every corner. And what's at stake is the eternal destiny of the universe in everyone and everything that inhabits it. Imagine if that were completely up to us. Imagine if we were responsible for the eternal destiny of all creation and everything inhabiting it. I mean, look around. <laughs> what if it was just us? I mean, some of you are looking at each other like, I, I mean, I got to go to work in the morning. I don't have time to be redeeming the earth. Jesus is building his church, which means that nothing will stop it. One of the speakers this past week said the plague wasn't able to stop the church from growing. Black death wasn't able to stop the church from growing. Persecution wasn't able to stop the church from growing. Nothing will stop the church from growing because Jesus is doing it. And in the pandemic, he didn't just enable us to survive. He started doing something new. And our responsibility, again, is to pay attention. What are those new things that he's doing uh, this was drawn to my attention this week. LifeWay uh, re Research did a really cool survey. Before COVID, they did a poll of churches, and they determined that about 27% of churches have an online presence. They do like an online sermon, or they, they have their service online. About 27% of churches in early 2020. In April of 2020, 97% of churches had some type of online service and presence. Jesus will use anything. We were about to go live for the first time uh, after we, you know, for a while we, we stopped meeting just like everybody did. And we did these videos. We made, uh, we, tr we did the best we could, but <laughs> it, they were kind of funny and goofy. They, I don't know how great they were, but when we decided to start gathering in person again, um, I remember I was just so happy we didn't have to do anything online anymore. And I was just like, you know, incarnational ministry, we've got to be together with one another and I remember uh, someone from Southside, a, a sweet lady, texted me and said, that's awesome, I'm glad everyone's meeting again, I'm glad you guys are doing that. Uh, I can't, I don't feel safe yet coming back, so I'm not going to be able to be there. I wish we had something online still. She wasn't mean about it, she was just, I, I really wish there was something for us. I was like, no problem, we'll make it happen. I texted my tech team and they're phenomenal and they figured we had an amazing, we still have an amazing tech team and they just, I said, we got to make it happen for this person. I'm sure there's others too. Let's make it happen. They figured it out. And we had online services. And you know there's people every week that watch that have never been here. Two weeks ago, I was at my, my family's house and one of my, my cousins just said, I watch your service every single Sunday. Every Sunday. 
online. I was shocked. I was like, I had no clue. I had no idea. So hi, Debbie, if you're, if you're watching right now. <laughs> Sorry to give you that story without getting your permission, but there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people about, that are watching from a distance. If we pay attention, God uses everything, even a pandemic. The other thing that it appears God is doing is shifting where the church is actually growing globally. Matt Boyer, some of you have met him. He rode his motorcycle one Sunday here with his wife, and um, I went, Karen and I went on a motorcycle ride with, uh, with them after service, and some of you went to the marriage conference that him and his wife hosted last year. He's a really great guy. He's a great pastor. He's a mentor and a friend, and um, he gave this statistic at conference. He said, by 2050, this is important, by 2050, 80% of the church will be in the southern hemisphere. Think about that. By 2050, 80% of the church will be in the southern hemisphere. That's the lower third of Africa. That's most of South America. That's Antarctica. Probably not a lot of churches there. That's Australia. But the, the lion's share is going to be South America and the, the bottom third of Africa. Now listen to this. 80% by 2050 of the church will be in, South, will be in the southern hemisphere. And 90% of the resources are in the northern hemisphere. The seminaries the theological training, the books, the resources, the people, the ministries that come alongside churches to help plant healthy churches. We better figure that out. A lot of where the action is right now is in the bottom third of Africa. And in 2019, Matt Boyers launched this uh, ministry, this church planting ministry in southern Africa. Over a thousand people have come to Christ in this ministry so far. Over 30 churches have been planted. And you, you know you guys have planted, fully funded two of those church plants in southern, southern Africa. Because we take a tenth of everything that you guys give and give it back to the kingdom. Two of them. A couple months ago, uh, this isn't the southern hemisphere, but this is still what God's doing globally. A couple months ago, I saw my friend on uh, Manalel, who's from India. I've been to India and had a partnership and a relationship with them. And he was saying, you know, in the United States, everyone says, we don't need a church building. We don't need a church. You know, you don't need a building. The church isn't the building. We're, we're really big on that. But they're, in India, they're like, we need a building. We need a church building because we're getting persecuted. We need a place to hide. We need a place that's out of the sun that's not exposed. And we do need a building. And he was showing videos of just hundreds of people gathering and all these people worshiping and singing, God, singing to God outside. And he said, we really, really need a building. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I just contacted him and said, how much does it take, man? How much? How much? He told me a number. It was reasonable. We could do it. So I talked to a couple people to make sure it was good. And um, we paid for them to build a building in Africa. You guys did that. Or in India. There's ways that we can be a part of what's got, what God is doing, and I don't want to miss it. In the spring of 2020, I was supposed to go to Malawi, South Africa, with, with Matt Boyers, and obviously that was shut down because of the pandemic. But we're meeting again here, Matt and I, in a, in a little while, and we're going to talk a little bit more how we, can, how we can be a part of what's happening there. We can do something about that. Jesus is building his church, and nothing can stop him even when it seems dormant sometimes in our neck of the woods. The second thing I want us to know is Jesus is building his church and we need to pay attention so that we can join him. A church that doesn't pay attention to where Jesus is at work will soon become irrelevant. 
or completely internally focused, looking at ourselves and navel-gazing. And that's when you begin to argue about the color of the carpet and all those things that you hear about because we've lost our mission. Scott Rideout, the president of Converge, who was there, he spoke at the conference. He warned us that he fears the American church is losing her evangelistic edge. He said, Christians started making decisions out of ideological convictions instead of theological convictions during the pandemic. That means we're getting more informed by, and this is becoming more and more of a problem, we better get a handle on this, countrywide. We're starting to get more and more informed by political talking heads than the ever-present voice of Jesus in Scripture. We get our direction, standards, priorities, directives, orders from one person, and that is the risen Christ sitting on the throne in heaven. And some of you business owners experienced this too during the pandemic in different ways. Scott described a conversation he had with one of his pastors in his denomination. And the pastor said, I can't win. More people quit pastoral ministry during the pandemic than any other time in that period in, in recorded history of the United States. It was insane how many pastors are quitting because they were so frustrated and demoralized. And he describes this conversation. This pastor said, I can't win. We opened the doors after the pandemic or after you know, we felt like it was safe to do that and people left the church because we opened too soon. And we closed it when COVID started going through you know, our staff and people left the church because they didn't think we should close the church. And when we required people to wear masks because that's what everyone was doing, that's what everyone said we should do, people left the church. And when we said it was optional, you didn't have to wear them, people left the church. The church has lost her mission. And what happens when you lose your mission in fighting? Henry Cloud said there are three things you lose in a crisis. Your rhythms, your sense of connection, and your purpose. And we need to pay attention to the new things that Jesus is doing now so that we can join him. The church has lost her evangelistic edge. And I'm confessing to you this morning that I've lost mine. And I'm committed to that changing. I've already repented to Jesus. We're good. You don't have to come up and console me and tell me, no, I think you're doing a great job. It's okay. I have lost it, but it's coming back. You know, when we were in Wadsworth, we started that outreach for uh, at-risk kids. We, I used to walk around downtown Wadsworth with pizzas, like finding all the kids that were getting in trouble and like smoking and getting kicked out of parking lots for skateboarding, and I would find them with these pizzas and invite them to a Bible study. I would chase them. The, the, group, that, the group that was with me would always laugh because I, I was chasing this kid down this back alley, like, come on, have some pizza, kid. And he picked up a skateboard and just started running. I'm like, it's like, come on, man, this is free pizza. What's your problem? Let's go. There was a kid down the, the street from us that was the head of the LGBTQ uh, club in, at Wadsworth High School. Until the day that we left, to the day that we left, to the day that we moved, I was trying to figure out a way to befriend him so I could get in front of the club and, and say, you know, I, I, I think the church has hurt you and I want to hear about it. And then I want to tell you about Jesus. When we moved here to Worcester, I, I, we moved into my parents' house and we were, we were just down the road from the Unitarian Universalist Church. 
And I reached out to them and I just said, hey, I know you guys, I mean, I, it sounds like you believe anything and that's it's great. Can I come talk to you about what I believe? And can I share just for 15 minutes? I'm not going to be you know, rude or disruptive. I just want to share what I believe and maybe you'll, you'll give me a chance to air. If you believe anything, maybe this is an option for people. I, I didn't get invited. There was some zeal without knowledge there. And I was going to think a little bit ahead of what Jesus wanted me to do, but at least I was passionate about it. We've lost our edge. I've lost my edge. But I'm not staying there. Relationships are important. Community is important. But how do you build deep community? By being on mission together. The third thing is, Jesus is building his church, and he's inviting us now to be a part of it. And before we launched Southside, we went through an extended process of discernment. We had a tap team, that 12 people that met in our living room for six weeks, and we did a psychographic and demographic study of Worcester. We wanted to see, is Worcester really ripe for another church? You know, I don't want to build another church where just bored Christians can come or angry Christians can come. I want to be a, I want to be a place that is on the edge, reaching people for Jesus so that we don't get bored enough to do those things. Does Worcester really need that? So we had to do a serious study about that. And what we found that south of Wayne, there was not a lot of gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches. There were some, but not a lot. Most of them were north, north Worcester. And we saw opportunity because we see this is where professors of the College of Worcester live, a lot of um, Young business owners live in this area. There's a lot of poverty in this area. There's a lot of people that can be reached with the gospel of Jesus. And so then we had a vision night. and We packed out this, you know, the top floor, the top half of the floor uh, at, uh, um, where was this? The Red Cross building. We had a vision night. And it was fun explaining what we found, that God was inviting us to plant a church in South Worcester. And then we had our first launch meet team. Our first launch team meeting was at Red Cross we had 14 people. In an article entitled 10 Deadly Church Planting Mistakes, Scott Ball says, ideally, your church launch team should be about 60 to 75 people. Less than 50 and your church will likely struggle to grow. And we had 14 people sitting in a room at the Red Cross building. And I remember praying before going out and starting the meeting. And God gave me something to say. He brought me back to Judges 6 through 8. You can read it yourself, the story of Gideon, one of, the, one of the judges. And Gideon was tasked by God. God came and sat down beside him and said, basically, what's up, mighty man of valor? What are you up to? And he gave him this mission to fight against the Midianites who were oppressing the Israelites. And he said, your army's too big. If you fight them now and win, people think it's because of you. So he had a, a series of ways that he dwindled them down to 300 men. And he said, that's the size. Because now nobody can get the credit except for me. And I shared that story. I shared that devotional in our first meeting as a launch team in the, in the Red Cross building. And I remember saying, look around at the people in this room right now. Look around in the people in this room and remember this moment because God loves to use remnants. Loves to use remnants. 
And this is exactly what we are. And he's going to do something with this. Jesus is building his church and he's inviting us to be part of it. And if we accept that invitation, there's always work to be done. Always. No reason to ever be bored as a citizen of the kingdom. Ever. But we have to get back the evangelistic zeal. Otherwise, we'll be distracted by lesser important things. Scott Rideout told the story of 10 churches in their denomination that got together and said, for one year, we're going to pray that God would bring that zeal back to us and that we would reach people for the kingdom. One year. That was the prayer emphasis of all 10 of those churches. Now, there were some big churches involved in that. But after a year, 10,000 people had come to faith in those 10 churches. 10,000 people. He's still working. He's still moving. He's still building for those who are brave enough to join him. We have these three words that describe how we believe disciples are best made here in our context, and that's member, neighbor, guide. And member is important. It's being together, allowing a community of people to come around you and serve you and, and care for you as you live your life. And Alex has done a wonderful job of creating space for that in our hospitality nights. And he's also creating space for us to get together in smaller groups, the discipleship pods. And you're going to be hearing uh, more and more about those things. And that's our member. That's how we do life together. But we cannot forget neighbor and guide. That's the missional heart of what we do as a church. Neighbor are people who are outside of our church, who don't live with us in the context of our church family, who don't do life with us, who we would actually like to invite into the church. This Holy Spirit is an extrovert, never satisfied with just the people already in community, always looking for more to bring into the family. The table has to always get bigger. So we always have space for new people because we are the people that go into the darkness with the heartbeat of Jesus who said, I came to seek and to save the lost and find them and bring them into the family. That's why we exist. And then guide is, you know, guide is helping people grow spiritually. It's not just helping good Christians become great Christians or Christians become smarter Christians. It's actually helping people who are just coming into the family learn how to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why I get out of bed in the morning. That's what I want to be about, and that's what I want to get back in my own, my own heart, my own life. I remember sitting in an office in Strongsville, Ohio, at a Methodist church, and I was on the phone with a uh, with one of my friends who was a pastor, and he was telling me about a guy that was mentoring him, and he said, you know, he's pretty exclusive. He doesn't mentor a lot of people, but I, I think, I've told him about you. I think he can get you in. I can get you in with him. He's a basketball fan. Um, he'd be interested in meeting with you. I'm like, cool. When do, I, when do I get together? Because this guy, when he would disciple people, it's like Bob Buford said, my, my, my fruit grows underneath other people's trees, and that was this man. It was incredible. His life was all about discipling young pastors, so he said, I can get you in, but you're going to have to drive. It was a three-hour drive. I had a one-hour meeting, and I did it. I went to this man's house, and he was painting. <laughs> he was painting his house. He was standing on this, this platform that he built, and um, he said, grab a paintbrush and come on up. So I was, I was like, oh, this is, it feels like Karate Kid or something. This is odd, but I'm going to go with it. I like it. So I'm painting with this guy, and he's like, tell me your story. Tell me what you were like in college. What were you like in high school? What are you passionate about? 
And he said, tell me about your ministry. And he said, I, I know what the problem is. I know why you're stuck. I'm like, why? And he said, you've forgotten where you came from. You're so busy, as someone said this week at the conference, cursing the darkness, you're not proclaiming the light. You've forgotten where you came from. You used to be like the people that you're cursing right now. You better go after them. This week kind of felt like that moment for me. It's the second time in my life I feel like I got slapped upside the head by the Holy Spirit, like, wake up. Wake up, because things are going good now. But there is work to be done. There's a mission, and you need to get on board. Jesus made it clear what the mission was. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he was here, period. That's the only reason when you become a Christian, you don't go straight to heaven, because now you have work to do. I believe this is our invitation to join him again on that mission. You know, my personality is my personality is prone to getting excited about something and trying it and seeing that it doesn't work and then trying something else. It's just how God wired me and I, I don't even apologize for it because that's how God made me. And that's how I've stumbled across some effective things to do. But this feels different. This feels like something shifted. And I guess what I'm asking you to do is to pray and see if you want to be a part of that. Because we're going to get serious about that mission. Tomorrow morning, we're going to leave for the Smoky Mountains. And uh, Rocky Mountains last week, Smoky Mountains this week, it's, going to, it's a pretty good deal. But this time I'll be with my family, and I'm not going to think much about this, but I'm going to have a little journal. I'm going to write down the things that God says to me on this mountaintop experience, and I'm going to come down from the mountain, and we're going to talk about it. September 7, we're going to have a, a serve team celebration and vision night, and I'm going to talk more about this. And anybody that's ever served on our serve team, you're going to hear about this and how we're going to move forward with this new commitment to reaching the lost. We should have baptisms that are filled with people, filled with people getting baptized who have come to faith in Christ. It's not a pressure thing. It's getting on board with what the Spirit is doing thing. It's not something we animate and pump ourselves up to do. It's something that we pray into and the Spirit animates our movement and directs our movements. So what I want to invite you to do is begin to pray and make a decision if you want to be a part of that. And ask God, what does it look like for you to be, to have this evangelistic edge in your world without becoming weird, without feeling like you got to pass out tracks and stuff? What does it actually look like for you to have the heartbeat of Jesus, that you are in the world right now to seek and to save the lost. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.